Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 34. Thank you very much for tuning in. Our guest this week is Dan Hardy, but before we get to that, I'm going to quickly plug my label, Speech Development Records. Please head to speechdevelopmentrecords.com and check us out. We have new t-shirt design. I've got a new design from Mr. Heggie, which has been flying off the shelves, in all honesty. Um, By the time this comes out, it might have sold out, but we've done the t-shirt and vest for for the summer. So for all you all you muscle heads tuning in for this MMA podcast, um, check the vests out. Um, it's it's a pretty awesome de- a design. I'm insanely pleased with it and even more pleased with how well it's gone down with you lot. So um, thank you very much for buying that and supporting that. Speechofrecords.com, purchasing merch and stuff like that is the best way to support. Also, I'm going to be mentioning this a lot. We now have the pre-order up there for B. Dolan's record. B. Dolan is one of my favourite a rappers of all time he's absolutely amazing um he was on the a joe rogan podcast or he wasn't joe rogan premiered a track of his called the devil is a liar which is about um freeway ricky ross um and his battles with rick ross the rapper um so again i'm sure a lot of mma fans will or a lot of people tuning into this will be a fan of Joe Rogan's podcast. So if that isn't enough of a seal of approval, I don't know what is. So check B. Dolan out, pre-order the record, buy his t-shirts, generally get involved with him on, on YouTube and everywhere else. Um, but onto the podcast. Loads of you have been requesting Dan Hardy for ages. We um, uh, uh, we were both on a show called Beyond the... Uh, not Beyond the Octagon, uh, f- Fighting Talk regularly. Um, and yeah, yeah, I've known him a long while. I've been a fan of him... Uh, a long while he's come out to my shows I've gone and watched him fight he's 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 a great fighter but even more importantly he's a great ambassador for the sport because he's an intelligent genuine individual who can speak um informatively on the sport on the art of mixed martial arts um but he's also gone through a lot in these recent years so this was a great one um but I've had to split this one into two parts as you will hear so the first part is now um you're already listening to it It, you know it's happening um and this is going to be the the bulk of the interview but then we thought we'd do a a second part as just a breakdown of upcoming fights recent fights recent results what we think of different fighters who who's one to watch in the ufc so we thought we'd do that as a part two that is going to be so this became available at midnight so tuesday into wednesday at midnight and part two is going to be available at midday. So again, if you've got the automatic download on, that's going to, you don't even have to worry about that. Just when you choose to listen to it, you can listen to it. But yeah, I'll be back at the end to give a bit more information. But until then, this is episode 34 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Dan Hardy. Hello, you. Um, I need to apologise for this extra bit of audio that is poor quality, but I haven't even got my podcasting gear with me, but I needed to jump on. See, since we recorded this podcast, um, all the John Jones stuff has happened. Um, so we don't talk about that. And I want to, I thought I should, w- should w- warn you in advance of this. Um, I, can sp- I can't speak for Dan. I think he's put some tweets out um, s- saying his feelings on it. So I thought I'd briefly say mine. So it is kind of addressed on the podcast i think john jones is potentially the best you know mma fighter of all time um but he's clearly in a fucked up place right now and needs to to sort his his head out i applaud the the ufc for for i mean finally in a way but still it's a huge thing to do to strip him of his title and suspend him and um and to pull 
you know, one of the biggest, the most anticipated fights of the year. So, you know, although it is the, is the right thing to do, I still think they deserve some some credit for that. That's some bold moves uh, to do that. So, yeah, hopefully John will get the help he needs and have some time away from the spotlight and all that kind of thing to to refocus and, you know, hopefully one day come back and continue what could be an amazing legacy, but who knows. Also, I'm crazy. I'm hyped for, for a Rumble v Cormier. I'll watch that. I'll watch the hell out of that. Um, so yeah, I think the UFC have done have made the right choice. Again, you can question if they sh- should maybe have stepped in or been harder earlier on when things started to flag. But you know, you can't, you, you can't. Or oh, hindsight's a beautiful thing. Anyway, as said, we don't discuss it in the podcast, so it might negate one or two of the things we discuss, but not not huge amounts. So relax, enjoy the podcast. And we're rolling. I'm joined by Dan Hardy. How you doing, sir? I'm good, man. I'm really good. Sitting in the sun, enjoying it. It's beautiful. Um, uh, I mean, you've you, you, you've posted pictures on Instagram, so I don't feel as if I'm giving anything away. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, we're sitting in your beautiful. Um, is it an old school hall or something? Or uh, town it's hall? a chapel. A chapel. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, old chapel hall. It's lovely. It's all right. It's all right. It's my little pile of bricks. Yeah. You have some fun in here. It's, it's as, like, I mean, we were discussing before this started, it's rare to find anywhere that actually has unused space. <laughs> yeah, like, as definitely. in there's, there's, there's meters above our head that yeah. they haven't put another floor on or yeah. done no, anything else. Nice. So. I, mean, I mean, that was kind of intentional. I wanted a space that that felt functional you know I, I think I, I don't I don't I can't live in a box yeah. I've lived in boxes I've rented places in the US yeah, and yeah, yeah. it just doesn't it doesn't make sense I want to be able to reach up over my head and grab onto something so yeah. I've got you know space for a gym in here and and then you know obviously my wife's an aerial performer so we're going to get a rigging point in the yeah. main room so, I mean yeah. you're wearing an, an on it shirt and again yeah. all of the <laughs> their kind of a crossfit type stuff it's like you need space and room yeah. you can't really have kettlebells or battle ropes or whatever yeah. in a small space you need to spin this this shit around your head and definitely definitely well you know i, I think we're starting to realize that we don't we're not supposed to be contained yeah i think people are realizing that we are physically at our best when we're in an active environment where we live in an active environment yeah, as sure. opposed to you know live in a sedentary environment and then travel to an active environment for a, a couple of hours every yeah. few days you know, so I want a place in my house. I'm going to have a climbing wall. I want a place in my house where I can climb a wall yeah. or swing on a bar or hit a bag, you know, or whatever. I, I just, I want to have space to, to do that. And I think that, I, I think the only way to live a, a, you know, a full life for myself would be to have, have that kind of lifestyle, you know, around me all the time. Yeah. Yeah. R- r- real life movement and activity exactly, yeah. r- rather than just simulated kind of. And I've just got my, uh, my on it battle ropes as well. I'm going to start playing with them soon. Uh, Oh, they look amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, I looked at them and instantly thought the small gym that I'm building isn't going to have room for them. <laughs> <laughs> they won't be heavy. I'll just be, love, be waving. Yeah, you'd have to have battle string. G- g- <laughs> genuinely, um, when I first saw b- battle ropes on, on one of the, um, like a before an event type thing, behind the scene workout thing, I started to um, <laughs> put extra effort in 
I went ch- changing my duvet <laughs> genuinely because I felt well, this is the same thing yeah, right? when yeah. I'm shaking my duvet and you get the, the burn in the same spot so I'm like I'm going to consciously shake this duvet for longer as a you know a small Essex version of there beautiful battle rope work. maybe that's your million dollar idea the battle duvet the battle duvet yeah, just, just a little heavier that's perfect I might have to yeah we should copyright before that. the podcast goes yeah, out yeah I mean this will be going out in two weeks so oh, we've got okay. time we've got to get time. the battle okay. duvet that's good. Uh, painted um, but no I, I I definitely agree. I think I, I realised on a few years back, everyone on tour used to mock me because I would regularly either take the stairs when I could or if yep. we were unloading stuff, choose to take the heavier stuff and not yeah. to, sh- to show off <laughs> just because it's like, right, I know that after the gig I'm going to be knackered and I know that there's not time to work out or do this. So just trying to consciously choose real world yep. exercise to so choosing... T- take the stairs somewhere instead of getting the lift or choosing to yeah t- to walk down to the shops this, this sounds like some kind of public service announcement now but <laughs> genuinely on stuff like that yeah, yeah. you just yeah it well, makes you know, a difference everyone's got bags with wheels on now yeah i have a north face duffel bag and i just throw everything in it and usually it's fully loaded and it's heavy but i you know i feel that i feel it necessary to carry my own stuff yeah, yeah. and you know and then people look at me like i'm like i've lost my mind when they offer to carry my bag and i say no no i'm good you know like people waiting at, i can't i can't be doing people waiting at hotels yeah like waiting to take your bags off you i, I, yeah. I want to carry it myself i'm yeah. fine with it you know <laughs> speaking of losing your mind uh, we were discussing crystals before yes. <laughs> <laughs> kidding, no, kidding. Yeah, no but you're a, you're a i mean i've seen you discuss this on i yeah. mean we, just for everyone listening we will get around to punching faces and manly <laughs> mma stuff at some point but you you've become a big fan of crystals and yeah I'm you not, were saying about them like retaining vibrations and, and weird shit yeah i'm not really sure why I, I've, i'm drawn to them to be honest i've yeah. got loads of different types i'm fascinated by them i mean you know if nothing else, they're beautiful to look at. Yeah, you know, yeah. if you if you pick one up, and I mean, that, the one we've got on the table in front of us is, you know, it's a couple of kilos. It's quite a big one. Yeah. But if you hold even a even a small one up to the sky, it's you know every single one of them is unique, and yeah, it's, yeah. it's like a galaxy inside. They're fascinating to look at. Yeah, it's true. And then you know, I think there are a lot of things about the world we don't know yet, and I think there's a lot about crystals we're not sure about. I mean, as you were saying, all joking aside, they have been used for years in mm. many different things in technology. Yeah, in spirituality and all this kind of thing. Yeah, as well Which, as again, it's fine to be sceptical of, but it's also not always good to just blankly dismiss. I yeah, guess. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sceptical of myself, to be honest. I'm not sure exactly what it is about them I'm drawn to, yeah, but you just like them. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I feel like I would be like dismissing something of myself if I ignored them. Yeah, and and it, because I'm drawn to them, I feel like. I feel it necessary to have them in my house. I have them in my bedroom and I have a wicked amethyst skull next to my bed. Amazing. It's just, I feel like every, if I meditate with it, I feel like I can put information into it that I can draw upon at a later date. Yeah. I can set intentions. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, wh- whether it's, whether it's just a particular thing to focus on, like some people focus on like beads or rosaries or mm-hmm. whatever. It, it may just, you know, as we were talking about earlier as well, like placebo, it may, it may be, have a placebo effect, but I don't, I don't mind. I mean, they're beautiful to look at. And if yeah. there's an extra benefit, then I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, we're, we're kind of working in a weird b- backwards order now because I'm now jumping to the... the or, or since you stopped f- fighting, and we'll, we will get around to that, but do you feel since you've stopped fighting, you've found a lot more... Or your perspective has changed on things? You've found a lot more sp- spirituality or have you always kind of um, been interested in that kind of area of things? 
Uh, yeah, I always have. I mean, you know, one of the draws of, of going to train in China was the, the spirituality side of it. You know, being immersed in martial arts has always yeah. been a spiritual thing uh, from my perspective. Even even early on in my teens, before I realized, it was always a spiritual endeavor to understand myself um, through high-pressure situations and and pain and discomfort and challenge. Yeah. Um, I, I think since I've stopped fighting, I've found more balance. And I think that... I think that's more more obvious to people. Yeah, I think yeah. that people who knew me before, and I can look at old photos of myself as well, just from you know three years ago, and I can see on my face I was so much, so much more, so much angrier. Yeah, you know, and and I don't think that helped me at all. Not even in my fighting style, I, I got too too drawn into the fight sometimes, and um, and too aggressive, too angry with myself in training camp was was the the, the biggest downside to it. Yeah. Um, so I definitely think I found more balance, which is partly the reason why I do want to fight again. Because yeah. I feel now, moving forward, I would be able to really show my best. Well, again, it's a weird thing. It's it's a, a massive, um, a, a misperception of fighters that it has to just be aggression and all all that kind of thing. I was I was discussing after this this weekend's fights, which will be two weekends ago now, but where a Luke Rockhold. Smash, smash, Mashida. Yeah, and I, I was trying to figure out why I'm not excited by Luke Rockhold or or or, or like a, a Rockhold of a Wideman match. And yeah, because I, I don't know why. Because another mate was saying they both are amazing athletes. Can can finish on the feet. Can finish on the ground. Everything's there. But I think it's exactly that. It's y- y- your silvers, your Mashidas. All of these have a mystique and a spirituality. Like you know, they were. A, a rock hold and wireman, it feels like they just work really hard and fair yeah. play to them. They're in amazing shape. It feels like they go and drill every area and it's kind of more of an equation yeah. than your Anderson or a lot of the Brazilian fighters, in fact, kind of feels like there's something almost otherworldly about it. It's not just hard work. It's a mindset. It's a... Yeah. It's, yeah, that kind of seems to, to come into it for... A, I mean, the only one I can think of who's been that more or always felt that bit more clinical is gsp but Mm -hmm. again still i don't know there's yeah yeah i mean gsp is is definitely the the athlete in in mixed martial arts and i mean and i you know i'm a good friend with george now uh, i've always respected him as as an athlete and as a martial artist and he is fantastic at what he does but he has a very technical approach to it very clinical and it's not i mean Obviously, it is a you know it is on some level of spiritual endeavor, even if it's not, he's not connecting with that necessarily. Yeah. But um, for him, it is there, there is a you know a, a method to it. Yeah, sure. Whereas, um, you know, someone like Machida, it is much more about feel. It yeah. is there's there's a stillness to to his approach, yeah, and I think that's beautiful to watch, as as it is with Anderson Silva, and there are other other fighters as well that stand out. You know, and. It even you know in Frankie Edgar's movement and his footwork, yeah. th- there's there's a stillness because he is he is entirely present when he's doing it. Yeah. Um, I think I think Weidman and, and Rockhold are both very interesting characters, and I, and I do I see the separation uh, and what you mean there. I, I see it I more. See, as, it's, it's really odd because it's honestly yeah. not an insult to them. No, not it's at like all. This should I should be excited about them? Yeah. But for some reason, it yeah, it's there's something yeah. that's not yeah. But it's I feel like they've not they've not hit that point in their journey yet where they yeah, have maybe. to draw upon the spirituality yeah. side of it. Yeah. You know, they, they, 
I mean, they've both had it, you know, pretty good. Weidman's been a great wrestler. Obviously, Rockhold was yeah. a great surfer. Yeah. From what I understand, he's, you know, he's, he's quite a sensation with the ladies as well. Yeah. So ne- neither of these guys have, have met <laughs> a great had, deal. Had a of, rough life. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible, yeah. You know, neither of these guys have, have, have really had to, like, yeah. you know, struggle necessarily in, in the fighting arena that, that, they, that they're possibly going to in the rest of their yeah. career. It, it makes, it's, it's what makes someone like, I'm a, a massive a fan of, of Pau Harris, despite the fact he's clearly a lunatic and absolutely nuts. But <laughs> yeah. it's things like that that makes it exciting about him in a way is you know he's had the most terrible upbringing, like the hardest a life of real yeah. genuine p- poverty, proper breadline poverty to then l- learn this amazing skill yeah. but not quite have at points the mental capacity it seems to know when... Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know, because he's... Yeah. He's again, full reptile. He, he's, he's full reptile. That's that's exactly it. that's exactly what it it's is. It's complete instinct. Yeah, he's yeah. he's he's locked on, and there's no. It's not as easy then to say right. It's over now. No. The the game yeah. that we were playing is over. Yeah. It's like no, that's instinct exactly. and survival. It's like telling the dog to stop bark, stop biting after you've been teasing yeah. it. And, yeah. yeah, you know. I mean, the technique there is meant to be you put a finger up its bum. I don't know if the refs <laughs> would be willing to do that. I don't know. I don't know. I'd imagine it'd be pretty clenched. It'd be a hard. Uh, <laughs> It'd be a hard job. It wouldn't be easy. So, um, can we talk again? We, I'm, I'm, I'm going to work in a weird, backwards way. But can we talk about when and why you have had to stop fighting? Yeah. Again, like with obviously the intention now to go back. But what is the condition? Well, <clears throat> it's not. It's 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 not anything really. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's. Basically, when, when people have... It's called Wolf Parkinson White, but yep. it's usually Wolf Parkinson White Syndrome. Now, when somebody has the syndrome, they have uh, an adverse reaction to it. They have, you know, their heart rate will increase to, a, you know, 140, 150 right. beats a minute, maybe more. Um, they have, you know, sometimes they have panic attacks, palpitations, all different kinds of things, chest pain. I don't have anything. I've never had a single symptom. Yeah. Not in my in the entirety of my life. And I've had this since I was born, apparently. So wow. I don't have Wolf Parkinson White syndrome. I have Wolf Parkinson White pattern. Right. Which from what I understand doesn't it, it's not it's nothing wrong with me. Yeah. Necessarily. And and what's what's un- unusual about mine is that usually with Wolf Parkinson White syndrome, they uh, it's they have their regular heartbeat in the center. Of, of their heart, which, which is, keeps a regular beat, keeps mm-hmm. the heart functioning. But then elsewhere in the heart, they'll have cells that do the same job. They'll, they'll occasionally produce an electrical current. Right. The problem with that is that if, if that happens, um, I'm not, I, I can't explain it technically because mm. I don't understand it very well, but it basically short circuits the heart. It can yeah. cause cardiac arrest. Sure. Um, so obviously, you know, symptoms can be quite scary and they mm. can cause sudden death. They can cause, you know, an immediate cardiac arrest, but I've never had a single symptom. Yeah. And my heart has functioned through some of the toughest and most stressful things yeah. that I could have put it through. Yeah. And it's never failed me. So now uh, the doctor that I went to see in Vegas basically said that they want to uh, study it. They don't, they don't, well, they don't know where it is for a start in my heart. Mm-hmm. So they need to go in and have a look around. If it's in a safe place away from my regular heartbeat, then they can electrocute it, which basically burns the cells. Right. Yeah. So, the option that it's I was crazy, given, isn't it, to, to have to have potentially hugely scary options yeah. there for something that isn't affecting you in any yeah. way or doing you any harm? And I think that's what's fascinating with the kind of the break you've had to take is like I was, I was trying to explain this. Um, I've come, I'm doing this on the same day as I did 
a last week's one with Howard Marks and I was discussing as I was, I was packing away and I was saying from my understanding is that kind of found something that l- looked wrong but it wasn't doing anything wrong or causing it and it but it's like yeah. well it's not right though so it might you know yeah. it's like well, if you didn't know if they if no one had ever f- f- found that you're you wouldn't you, you wouldn't no. have had a break at all if the fight wasn't in california yeah i oh, wouldn't really? be found because it's not a test that's done anywhere else in the u.s oh wow it's done in california and i, I believe one other state but i'm not sure which but so i've never i've never had to do an ekg to get to get yeah. you know um cleared for a fight so it's never been found it's never caused me a problem i've never felt a need to go to a doctor to say hey yeah. I, I feel something feels wrong can you have a look and and now I'm being, wonder how anyone could know how common a thing yeah. it is because the average person doesn't have EKGs regularly, <laughs> doesn't <laughs> no, no. keep an eye on things Well, like I, that, I think so. it's something like one in every 3,000 people have it. Mm. It's, it's, so it's quite Again, common. That's of what they... I'd, I'd, I'd suggest it could be... It could a, be more. Way more, because I've yeah. never had an EKG. They've no. not tested me, so, you know, it could be two in three... There you <laughs> go. Least, you could have three heartbeats. Exactly, but... <laughs> yeah, isn't, isn't, isn't that an odd thing that... How can you give a statistic on something like that when so few people yeah, are no. tested for it? And I said that you are someone who are tested physically a lot because of your job, yeah. yet it's taken this long in your career yeah. to have that specific test that... Definitely. That I mean, it. you know, there are certain jobs that, that they do test for it. Um, but if you're a fighter pilot, and mm-hmm. they test for it. And obviously, if you've gone through the, all the training and they test you and you've got Wolf Parkinson White Syndrome or Patton, which is what I've got, they would have to treat it in right. order for you to carry on doing your job. Yeah. And, you know, I get that because if something happens and you're in the air, not only are you going to potentially crash a multi-million dollar aircraft, yeah. but you've got a massive amount of explosives potentially on, yeah. on, the, on the aircraft as well. I understand that. But nothing's going to happen to anybody else if all of a sudden my heart decides it's, mm. it's done. Yeah. And that could happen to anybody at any point. I'm not scared yeah, of sudden completely. death. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, that doesn't concern me at all, especially because I don't feel like my heart is going to fail me because it never yeah. has. Um, you know, and when I went in and did or the n- tests... no more than it may anyway. Exactly. Or that anything else on you may, yeah. Yeah. may anyway in that my situation. My brain might blow up before my heart fails, yeah. you yeah. know? Something else could... And... So the situation I was in, I was I was in training camp for the Matt Brown fight. I was about five weeks out. I was in good shape. And I went in and I did the EKG and it came back as abnormal. They said, you've got a second heartbeat. So will you come in and do some more tests? Mm. So I went in, I did an ultrasound. So basically what they look for is an area of the heart to be slightly enlarged because that will tell them where the extra cells in, in the, the heart are. Yeah. I also did a stress test, which is, it's an 18 minute, uh, treadmill test where you're hooked up to a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, my resting heart rate was 42 beats a minute. So that's, that was, you know, it's a pretty, in a pretty good range. Yeah. And when I, I completed the test and I broke the record that they had at the hospital on the test, um, my regular heart rate maxed out at 192. My second heart rate maxed out at 187. So they beat pretty much at the same time, yeah, yeah. which the doctor also said is unusual because normally in this situation, the regular heartbeat beats all the time and then occasionally there'll be a cell that will beat. Now, wow. that is an entire different situation to mine because yeah. I, have a, I have a second group of cells that produce an, another heartbeat. I have, I have effectively have two. On time. Exactly. <laughs> now, uh, yeah, exactly. They increase at the same time and they seem to function perfectly well together. Yeah. So... My argument is this, and I, I actually said this in an interview and it, it upset a bunch of people. 
that could be an evolutionary advantage. We don't yeah. know that. Yeah. We don't know whether people with wolf Parkinson white pattern are the next, you know, yeah. we, we could be the future. We could be the next evolutionary. I uh, mean, if it's on time <laughs> and it, you know, you broke the records in, 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 this, in this particular test, then yeah. surely, yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. So how was that? How did you take of that news though obviously someone who's spent your whole life um training and excelling at a physical art a, 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 a physical job to be told again you don't know how long for but for, at least for some amount of time you can't do that anymore how i don't know how did you react and how did that <laughs> how did you take that in not very well in hindsight. No, At I'd the imagine. time, I thought I was doing really well. I thought yeah. I was fine. I was doing a lot of hiking and a lot of yoga. Um, I was, uh, I was just active, and I was, I, I, I was quite, I was enjoying the break, even though I was frustrated because I never got the closure from training camp. Because yeah. that's that was the worst thing is that I was already in motion to a fight. Yeah. I'd already got my brain in gear, and I already put intention and energy towards it. Um. And, be, and especially because my my fight before that against Amir Sadalo in Nottingham was it was kind of like a testing ground. No disrespect to Amir, he was yeah. a, a great opponent, a very tough fight for me. Um, but it was a testing ground. I wanted to try things out. I wanted to show a couple of different takedowns that I've been yeah. working on, a level change, a trip takedown. Um, I wanted to show some ground and pound, which I'd used earlier on in my career, which I'd not really used in the UFC other than mm-hmm. Marcus Davis a yeah. little bit. Um, I just wanted to show a bit more diversity to my game because, you know, I'd taken some time off. I got the win over Ludwig and then I'd been to Peru and that had really changed my mindset entirely. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of finished, um, you know, I finished uh, that year on, on a good note. I mean, I, yeah. I was in a good place and I really felt like, what was it, 2013? I'll lose track of the years. 2013, I felt was going to be like the beginning of like the new phase of my career. Yeah. And Matt Brown was going to be my first fight in that phase and I'd already said in interviews, you know, a couple of weeks before I did the test, I'd already said that I'm done in 18 months, 12 months, 18 months. I'm just going to have one more good run at it. And yeah. then I want to do something else. Yeah. Um, not in, we're not intending to go on to commentary or anything. Like yeah. I had, I had the intention to do something else entirely. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of felt like I was stopped in motion. Yeah. I was like, I was already on my way. And it halted me, and I just didn't really know what to do with that energy. Yeah, to have have made that a decision, but mm. then to have that choice taken away from you, and yeah. I'd imagine hard as well to then see the 2013 and 14 that that Matt Brown, your opponent, had. Yeah, that he he then went on to have yeah. that, as as you kind of said that that yeah. that huge that year that made uh, made a big difference for him. Yeah, yeah, and again, you're you. you you're sat on the sidelines. So at what point did you decide that kind of just, or, or what did you decide? Were you just waiting for it to be cleared up, for you to be cleared to fight again? Or did you instantly think, right, what am I doing in the meantime? You know, um, or instead? Well, I went out to California. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Lorenzo actually sent me out to see a different cardiologist and they they didn't actually do any any more tests. They basically looked at the previous test that I'd had and basically explained uh, explained the situation to me a little bit clearer than the doctor in Vegas. Um, didn't really push me either way as such, but there was a there was another guy there and he was from UCLA. He was a, he was a specialist in the electrical current in the heart. Yeah. Um, one of like the nine best in the world. So it was quite fortunate he was there and he 
put it as clear as day. He said, there are two, two reasons that you need to get this surgery done. One is because you want to keep, keep doing your sport and they won't clear you to mm-hmm. fight. And two is if you're concerned about sudden death. So that was it on the table. I'm not concerned about sudden death yeah. because sudden death is going to come at some point, Yeah, you know, potentially anyway. Yeah. So the only other reason I would have the surgery is to get cleared to fight. That's what he said. Yeah. Now, and, and he, put it, he put it in those words because th- that was basically you don't need to get it done Otherwise, yeah. Otherwise. It's crazy, isn't it? You know? So do I get it done to get cleared to fight, to have another 12 or 18 months of fighting? Yeah. When that could potentially leave me with, a, you know, a lifetime of problems. Mm. And a lot of the people that I've spoken to that have Wolf Parkinson White Syndrome, because, you know, I've had hundreds of people come up to me and be like, oh, just go and get it done. Just, you know, it's, it's no problem. My kid had Wolf Parkinson White Syndrome and he got the ablation and it's done and it's no problem. Oh, yeah. But everyone that's come to me knows that they've got it because it's been a problem. Yeah. You know, it's just like the situation. Yeah. It's just like the situation with, um, that we were talking about, you know, most people don't ever get an EKG. Yeah. So no one's coming to me and is like, well, I've got Wolf Parkinson white pattern. I I wouldn't get it done if I were you. It's not changed. You don't need to know. But everybody with Wolf Parkinson white syndrome, who's had issues, and usually these these have been people in their teens, yeah. you know, like in their like late childhood and in their teens. Yeah, yeah. And as you get older, your chances decrease. I've read up quite a lot about, you know, my risk factor. Yeah. I'm like 0.06% at risk. Mm. And, and the situation that I'm in, I've moved back to the UK. Sorry, I'm going to grab a quick drink. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm talking a lot. <laughs> there we go. Okay. So I've, I've moved back to the UK. I've, I've bought a, a place. I needed, I needed to plant some roots. I've been living out of a suitcase for 10 years. You know yeah. what it's like being on tour. It's, it's exhausting. And I'm, yeah. I'm always moving from one place to another. And I needed, because my career just kind of took a big hit, I feel like I needed to come home and just settle. Yeah. So I've done that. I mean, I, definitely it feels forced or otherwise, it feels like a good, it's, I don't know, it's all put you in a good position and good yeah. spot because it's gone right, actually. I can take my, my foot off the, the gas for a minute and go, yeah. right, what do I actually need? Because again, it's, it's, it's the same as we said with touring there is you get in the, the function of tour, 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 a new album, tour, 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 new album. That becomes a cycle. And then you've yeah. got a question, am I doing a new album because I've got a new album to write and to do? Or am I doing it because that's the process? And I'd imagine yeah. it's, it's similar in many ways with fighting. Yeah. It's like, right, everyone, you know, I've just had my fight. I know how long my my suspension is and my medical. That means I should be fighting again in this month rather than what do I need now? What do, yeah. do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just, it, no, it, totally. it becomes a career or yeah. is a career, obviously. You become an athlete. Yeah. That's what happened to me when I signed with the UFC. I was, because I was kind of picking and choosing my way before that, it was much more about the martial arts. Yeah. And for my first couple of fights in the UFC, it was as well. You know, my fight against Gono was, yeah. you know, that was a, um, a, a real tough introduction to the UFC. Yeah. And then I got Roy Markham next. And I was in, I was very much in a martial arts place then. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once I, once I'd won the first two fights, all of a sudden I was a contender because we were a bit thin on the ground and obviously GSP had kind of cleared out the division and 
we'd been wanting a British contender for a long time. I know that a lot of people like, were putting a lot of energy towards me to be yeah, a contender. Completely. So then I, all of a sudden I realized that I had to start reassessing my goals because my goal was to reach the UFC and I'd done that. Yeah. And I was just kind of enjoying the ride to start with. Yeah. Just so being obsessed. Yeah. It's done. Being obsessed with martial arts and, and just loving my job. Yeah. Um, and I see it a lot when, when the other, other fighters sign as well, I can see that they're in that same place. And then all of a sudden, when people start talking about being a contender in the belt, I had to reassess my goals and start planning. Oh well, now now I'm an athlete, and I've got to have a you know an off season and a, a season where I've got to power lift and eat loads and get yeah. strong. And this is my weight class, so this is where I should be weighing. And none of this mattered before. I was stepping on the scales at 76 kilos. At, at you know, I, I weighed in really light for a few of my fights because it was about martial arts. It wasn't about yeah. anything else. But yeah. then once I was in that kind of a rat race... And when of, you're in that you know, uh, elite top few, it is things like athleticism is can be the thing that makes a difference. And particularly in a division run, as we said, by GSP. Yeah. Someone who is, has used his athleticism to really maximise you know, his yeah. advantage. The fact that, again, at, at, at that point, people were starting to get annoyed with the fact that he wasn't taking any damage mm. as if that's a bad thing as if he choose to he <laughs> yeah. got to a point where he had a game plan and, and, and the physical prowess to yeah. go right I don't yeah. I don't need to get get t- t- to take any risks yeah. and that I kind of I, angered I, people I, I barely hit him 25 yeah. minutes I don't think I landed a, a clean shot on him yeah it, he, he, he did a number on me it was a great performance so, so, so how was that to get to that title shot position because you touched upon it there how much pressure there was and for a long time um Everyone had been tr- hoping that Bisping was going to be the the British guy. He gets a title shot, um, obviously a different weight class. But the few times he'd got close to a title shot, it tended to stumble at that last hurdle, and yeah. you know, or, or, or yeah, just f- through timing or injuries or or anything else. Whereas you, you then seemed to come through, and you know, you were t- a talking a good talk, particularly. I mean, that blew up the most with Marcus Davis and you were getting a lot of yeah getting a lot of hype and building a lot of noise and suddenly you're against a, a GSP yeah. you know the biggest at that time MMA fighter in the yeah. world you know yeah. in a title fight how with the, the the pressure of a nation you know on your on your shoulders how how was that um <laughs> well it was I was completely unprepared if I'm honest yeah. um I mean, if I look back at it now, it was a, it was effectively timing, like you just said with Michael. It's just not worked out for him, but for me, it worked out perfectly because yeah. I was supposed to be fighting Don Young Kim in Manchester yeah. at one hundred and five, um, and he he injured his knee in training about yeah. six weeks before the fight. So Joe Silver called me up and he said, "How about Mike Swick?" I thought that's a great fight. I know he want to stand and trade. It'd be a great fight to have in Manchester. He's a tough opponent. He's higher in the rankings. So yeah, yeah. it's a perfect. I know. A, a, a switch up, right? You've got that home crowd. Was it was was headlined by a Randy Couture as, it was, a, as yeah. well, wasn't it? So Brandon you Bear, knew yeah. it was going to be a rammed, yes. excited crowd, a, a huge event. And I was I was there that night. And as much as it was exciting to see Randy a, a walk down, as a lot of people say, the fight was a bit of a letdown. The highlight and buzz from the crowd in at that event was you beating. Swick, <laughs> that that was the bit that had the crowd most on their feet and going really? mental. So that's cool. So you know that was again, it was gr- a great <laughs> a timing in that respect. But 
yeah, you, you are then a fast track. And what's going yeah. th- through your mind there? Are you believing the hype or are you going, shit? <laughs> you <know>? Yeah, well, <laughs> that's, that's GSP. <laughs> I suddenly, I, I wanted to be in the UFC and yeah. now feeling like a blink later, I'm yeah. against, you know, the athlete that's cleared out the division. It, yeah, it was a bit surreal. I mean, I, I saw, you know, Don Young Kim and then a couple more fights and I was going to progress. And then I knew Mike Swick was around the number one contender. I didn't know whether it, it was for sure. But when I was offered the fight, I just, it was just a good opportunity. So yeah. I took it. But and, then, and Don Young Kim, again, a lower down the rankings yeah. and in many ways a Tough worse test. matchup for yeah, you because he's yeah. such a strong grappler, Most such definitely. a powerful dude. Yeah. I mean, really, the first, the first proper, like, you know, wrestler that I fought, grappler, was GSP. Yeah. Before that, I fought. Yeah, before Not that, I fought good jujitsu guys, but people that didn't have have a decent wrestling game, mm. or I'd fought wrestlers that didn't have good jujitsu. So, you know, he was the first kind of complete package, and obviously, Don Young Kim would have been a a, a real tough fight yeah. as well. Yeah. So it just worked out perfectly, really. Don Young Kim got injured. Mike Swick stepped in. I beat him and effectively just took his place as number one contender. Yeah. You know, I moved up to number four in the rankings, which. Well, I mean, it surprised me. I didn't, I didn't, I shouldn't have been up there, in my opinion. I was lower down, but, you know, I... <laughs> it's confusing how the rankings just, yeah, can work. Yeah. I mean, we've got that at the moment, again, with a Rockhold and, and Jackeray, that J- 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 Jackeray's at number one, which yeah. I like because I love him. I think he's awesome and he's got mm. that ridiculous ground game and his strike is exciting, but... He's not really beaten anyone in the... He's, he's definitely not beaten anyone in the top f- five. No. I no. can't think of many in the top ten, so it's a really odd one to... Yeah. If it had beat Yo or Romero, yeah. that would have been an argument alone for a title shot. Completely. Uh, to be honest, I was delighted when that that match got cancelled yeah. because I love them both. And I was yeah. like, I, I saw it announced, <laughs> I thought, yes. And then I thought, no, because I kind of want them both to get to that point of yeah. a title shot or whatever else. Yeah. And that meant the one would be eliminated. Yeah. But yeah. Middleweight's a shark tank, though. It really right is. Right now, isn't it? Yeah. It's not... I mean, Anderson Silva's had it locked down until Weidman stepped up, and now all of a sudden, because Weidman's not seemed as unbeatable as, as Anderson, because yeah. he's not had as many fights and has been as dominant, yeah. now he looks... You know, he could be challenged much more by the, the top five. It's some mafia shit. You kill the kingpin, <laughs> and suddenly there's a lot of people contending, and yeah, fight, yeah. it becomes a far more dangerous it? place, because when there was one person ruling over it all... yeah. You know, you can't beat Anderson. No. So, so it's not he's a, now. He's a dictator. As soon as he's taken out, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. But anyway, yeah, on coming up to the GSP fight and then in it, did you change how you n- normally prepare for a fight? Did you go, right, actually, I need to, as you said, I need to, to, to be an athlete and be more c- concerned about the physical side of things rather than necessarily the technique or, the, mm. or my fighting style? Or what was your outset um well <clears throat> I started training camp way too early yeah I just couldn't wait I wanted to get in there straight away uh my coaches were enthusiastic as well um so I mean we, we kind of built into it but I was I was well underway you know it's, it's 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 one of those scary tough things of again for someone like GSP who he's the product of years and years of those hard camps and so on and so forth mm. I can understand how you'd be keen to jump in to try and make sure you get there but a lot of people who are listening may or may not know but training camps you have your peak you have your Mm. point where right this is where you're at number one and then it starts to be um detrimental because you've you've you're putting too much 
pressure on your body and there's there's a point where you get to that top of the hill where it's like yeah. right now I'm getting a bit <laughs> messed up from this yeah and, and yeah yeah I was just I was just burnt out and then you know the, uh, I lost my grandfather six weeks before the fight oh, wow. and I spent a lot of time going from the gym to the hospital to the gym to the hospital Damn, yeah and then at the same time I had uh, the countdown crew there mm-hmm. so I had, they were with me you know, like 14 hours a day. Yeah. And I was, and because I'd never done a show before, I didn't, I didn't get that you can say, no, I, I'm going to bed yeah. or no, can I'm away, doing please? this. Yeah. So they were there all the time and they were a great camera crew, but obviously they were doing uh, their job, mm-hmm. which was to get as much as they did. And, you know, and I'm, I think they did a great show and I'm pleased with it, but it was exhausting to have them around, especially yeah. given the fact that I was, you know, I was grieving for my, gra- my grandfather yeah, who was, was so instrumental in my martial arts right. background that, you know, it was just, it was just really awkward timing. Mm. And, um, and then, so I went out to New Jersey, uh, four weeks before and I had, I'd got my training camp planned out. And then all of a sudden Dana was on the phone. He's like, drive out to Long Island. I want you to go and train with Matt Serra. And so that became a big thing. So then I was, you know, in, on the road right. a lot. And it was just, it was a, it was a poorly planned, stressful training camp. And there was a lot, a lot that went wrong, a lot that could have been better. Um, if you're in a stressed a, a situation, I was having Matt Sarah sh- sh- shouting <laughs> at you the most ideal thing. You know thing. what? He was, a, he was a, a godsend. Matt Sarah. He's amazing. People don't realise how qualified he was BJJ because yeah. of that one punch that, that caught GSP. Everyone just thinks of Sarah as a plucky New York and yeah. don't realise that he's been doing this a long time and as technical as you can get on the mat. And Completely undersold him that did that, yeah. that knockout did. It, yeah. it would have been better if he'd have never won the belt. Yeah, completely. You think, yeah, that's it. It's yeah. just a, a lucky punch in people's yeah. mind rather than the complete blitz of a career he'd, exactly. he'd had. Exactly. No, I mean, that the time with Matt was amazing. I, I learned a lot. And to be honest... The, the weeks that I spent training with Matt and his crew were the, was, that was the training that got me through the fight. Right. That was the, the armbar escape, although I let it go a bit too deep. That was the Kimura escape. Yeah. We worked a lot on, on uh, back defense and um, it, th- th- it was a very, very productive time. I really enjoyed it, but it yeah. w- I was already exhausted when I got there. And, yeah. you know, I just wasn't in a, in a, in a great place and it, and it obviously there was, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself as well because I was in a title fight, you know. There's a billboard with my face on it in Times Square. Like Crazy this is real. Right? This yeah. is actually happening now. Yeah. Like all the other training camps that you've just that you've you know you've gone through, they've been tough, but this was the title fight, so this one had to be different. Yeah. I, I had to make big changes, you know. And I got some work with Joe DeFranco, who's a, a legendary strength and conditioning yeah. coach, um, and that was amazing as well. He got me really strong for the fight. Yeah. I felt great going in there, but. I just, I, did, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for it. Yeah. You know, I, I, my intention, because everyone counted me out in the first round, yeah. my intention was to give it everything I got. Yeah. And I, and I, and I think I did that. Which and I think, did, to be honest. You got the respect f- or well, from that. In a funny way, that, that was it. That was the, the best result I could have got. I mean, yeah. you know, if I'd have knocked him out in the first round, I'd have been put in, in Matt Serra's group. And that's, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm, Matt Serra is far more well, qualified than me. Well, but, well, you again, know. Back to Wideman, I feel so sorry for him that people he's beaten Silver twice, twice. and people still like, Yeah, yeah but, <laughs> but Anderson Silver, yeah, yeah, he's I not know. really. And it's like, well, dude, yeah, <laughs> but yes, so, so, so I mean, the big, the big me- memory for everyone, I don't know if you would have blanked it from your own, but was those, those submissions that GSP yeah. put you in that were <laughs> incredibly deep, 
you know, particularly the armbar, um, but the Kimura as well. You know, there was some real tight situations where it felt a lot of people would have tapped. What are you thinking in 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 that situation? Are you actively thinking back to tr- 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 training sessions and escapes with Matt Sarah, or are you instinctively? Are you just thinking, don't don't tap, just let this? Well, I didn't I didn't think about tapping. Mm. It gen it genuinely didn't cross my mind. There wasn't even a consideration that if he gets me in a submission, I'm going to have to tap. Yeah. Um. And really, I mean, that was my mentality going into the fight. And it wasn't, there wasn't no, like, there's no meat-headedness about it. There was no yeah. tough guy. It was just, that was my stance going into the fight. Yeah. It didn't matter which limb he took home with him. I wasn't going give to give in, you know, I yeah, wasn't yeah, going to yeah. submit. Um, so when I was in the position, like, as soon as I felt him extend it, I knew that there was a, p- a particular position which he had to keep my, my arm in in order to lock it out yeah. cleanly. So I... Every time it, it started to get close, I rocked it over to the other side. So yeah. I kept it moving. You can see it. Again, you can see me doing it on a the video. A lot of people don't know. I, I kind of, I, I explained online somewhere a little while ago the reason I've trained a tiny bit of, of BJJ, but it's purely, I've never had that thing of, I want to ch- ch- choke people out for days. It's, yeah. I want to understand it all more and to improve my enjoyment of, of watching, essentially. Yeah. And a thing there is people, a lot of people don't realise how on an arm bar, how important the thumb is like mm. where you're positioned in the th- yep. thumb. So if the thumb's in the wrong direction, if you can keep twisting, if he's not got good control of that, if you can keep turning your arm so your thumb isn't aligned up with your elbow, essentially, then, yeah. you know, it's never, f- it may look like it's it's fully on and fully at the full extension, but it's not, yeah. it's, it's, it's never quite there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I think, to be honest, I have a slight physiological advantage in the fact that my arms don't straighten. Right, and I think it's just from years and years of like doing traditional martial arts. Yeah, and I've I, I don't know whether I have some some like calcium deposits on right. the back of my elbow, but they they literally just they don't lock. Yeah. So I mean, I've, they've never been hyperextended. You've got so, that advantage of yeah. Yeah, I don't know whether that helps or not, but uh, yeah. So I, I I was just you know just keep moving the arm, and then and obviously I was thinking about the escape that I've been working with Matt Sarah and his guys. Mm-hmm. And that that it was ultimately what got me out of it. But yeah. I just let it get far too deep. <laughs> and and were you able to think of that quick, it instantly, or was it a kind of first up, keep moving, and then yeah. right now, what the fuck are we doing here? What's, <laughs> what's going on? No, it was it. It was in the back of my in mind. It was just I was having commitment issues. Yeah, <laughs> I was having because if I'd have turned too quickly, I I could I knew how much he was pulling on the arm. If yeah. I turned the wrong way, turned too quickly, it may have snapped my arm. And yeah. I was. I just didn't want the fight to be over. I didn't want to be done like that. You know, I didn't yeah, want it sure. to be finished that way. So, yeah, it was just, just you know, stubbornness. Just get on with it. I was listening to the Charles Sonnen podcast recently. He had, he had a GSP on. He was talking about um, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy that had previously trained GSP. I can't think of his name now, but um, Charles was, was, was telling, he told one of the most heartbreaking stories I've ever heard because he was saying about directly after his, his his first fight with Silver, where he's beaten the invincible Silver for four and a half rounds and then gets caught in a triangle. And he's literally he's sitting backstage and this guy, again, I, sh- I should know his name, but I can't think, just walks past um, and says to him, if you're ever in a triangle and you can't think of the escape, uh, just lock your hands until you can think of it. 
It's like that's if you can can get, can get your hands together, that gives you time. Like, don't panic and think, oh, what, how do I get out of this? Just get your hands together in some way. And Sonnen was like, it was the most heartbreaking thing because he was like, I know that that's so simple, but that didn't it just didn't come at the time. In <laughs> yeah. in, in the moment, it was just sh- shit. I'm in the triangle. <laughs> it was trying to s- solve it before b- blocking it. Essentially, yeah, I guess. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's better if you've got that kind of in there instantly that you're adapting and going for your yeah y- your exit strategy at the same time. Yeah, the, the, the problem is I was already in the armbar. Yeah, by the yeah. time I was trying to figure out how to get out of it, and it was just Indeed. I was just yeah. able to keep enough movement so he couldn't lock it out. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It was, <laughs> was, 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 was a hell of a moment. Um, so how was it after that? You've you, your dream was to be in in the UFC in one way. You. You've far, far exceeded your dream. You've had a title shot, but in another way, you've got to the top and you've been been knocked back. How? How? Well, what the, were you thinking? Well, the UFC like to kind of like put you to one side for a little while after you fought for a title and give you a bit of a break. I don't know whether yeah. that's intentional or, or what, but I had about four months where I didn't even have to think about a fight. Yeah, um, I'm sure it was something like that, and it was it was way too long for me. I like to fight every week, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I don't know, I kind of got indoctrinated by my own hype a little bit, if I'm honest. Right. And, and this was partly because as soon as, I, as soon as the fight was over, and obviously the, the countdown showed prime time had really, really sold the event. Yeah. You know, a lot of people watched it. And I'd it, been. It was the most hyped a, 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 a GSP title defense in years at the time. It was. It felt crazy. like there was a real rivalry. There was yeah. anger. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was crazy. It was. I mean, it was, just became such a big deal. And then after that, I drove from New York to Florida. Right. Just took a road trip and stopped off at a bunch of places. And everywhere that I stopped, everyone recognized me. Yeah. Everyone, you know, yeah. recognized the haircut or whatever. And and everyone came up to me. They were like, "Oh, I love your fights." You know, just work on your wrestling, get that takedown defense and you'll, you'll be back and you'll get that belt. And I just heard it so many times in four months yeah. that I was like, you know what? If I work on my, t- on my takedown defense and get back to a title shot, I win the belt. Yeah. I was like, and this, this was the calculation in my head. So, yeah. so, so then going into the Condit fight, I was like, oh, he's a kickboxer. I've got kickboxing nailed. I'm just going to knock him out. And literally that was, that was my train of thought. I was, I was far too, I was far too confident. I yeah. was far too, and, I, and it wasn't. I didn't respect him because I knew what he was capable of. Yeah. I just didn't think it was going to work on me. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and there was a point in the fight where I landed a left hook, and I I looked him in the eyes, and I felt like I'd hurt him. Yeah. And I and I I chased after him. I threw like three left hooks in a row or something like that. Um, and and literally, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again: the person that got knocked out was a different person to the one that got back up. Oh, really? I'm entirely different. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is... I mean, it's, 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 again, it's another kind of heartbreaking, tragic event where it was you both threw that same yeah. punch at the same time and it was his that was just slightly more, I yeah. guess, on point or on... It was, no, it, like, it connected cleanly and... Uh, and Do you I think it's my... because it was the first one he'd thrown, whereas because you'd connected with one that you were throwing them out there a bit more loosely, a bit more... Maybe, I don't know. Chasing it or, yeah. I, I don't know. I think I think it was partly because I just committed to it. My hand yeah. was, was down, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, he's, he's got a slight reach advantage. I'm not sure whether he was quicker, but it, it landed cleanly. It caught me right on the side of the neck as well, right, yeah. right underneath the ear. 
Um, and I know it was something that him and you know Greg Jackson had been working on. It was something yeah. that had found in my game, and it was an opening that I I had and I've, I've worked on since. Um, so from a my starts perspective, it was you know it was a great wake up call for me. It was like you've got stuff to work on. Yeah. You know, check yourself basically. But then, yeah, like because obviously from you know from another point of view, like if you see where Condit's at now, he's shot off in a different direction entirely, and is is doing amazing things. And yeah. It, it, I don't know. It kind of brought a bit of balance to me. It was it was what I needed in, in right. that moment, and yeah. I'm really grateful for it. And at the time, it, obviously, it was it was pretty rough. I went yeah. back to my hotel and you know shaved my mohawk off and yeah. kind of was a bit reclusive for a, for a couple yeah. of weeks. Just I mean, particularly as you said, after after to, to, to four months off, and you know the biggest fight imaginable yeah. uh, at that point, and being told constantly you're you're next you need another yeah. go at that then yeah. to, to as said to have bought into that hype and then to have that so rocked yeah a rocked and, out of you that's yeah, and the last time I fought at the O2 arena was Roy Markham I knocked him out in the first round yeah I, and I was confident I was going to catch catch Carlos as well yeah you know just I just went into fight too overconfident yeah but I'm I'm grateful for it I really am yeah I, I follow him on Instagram and you know he, he's I'm a big fan. He's a, he's a good fighter. Yeah, yeah. I needed that. It was it was necessary at the time. So what was the the rebuild plan after that? I said you said a different guy got yeah. up from then. What or what did that guy do? Well, I was I was frustrated with myself, um, and that wasn't the 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 yeah the rebuilding wasn't rebuilding in the right way right. in hindsight. I, I was. I was angry with myself because I knew that my confidence had gotten away with me. Yeah. In my head, I knew that. In my head, I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to knock Carlos Condit out. I'm going to get one more fight. I'm going to beat him. And then I'm back in for a title shot. Yeah. And and I'd not really considered anything outside of that. And the problem is that I, I, I'd always... I'd always considered myself an underdog. And that I, going into that fight, I didn't. Yeah. And I, that was my mistake. Again, I mean, that again, that's, that's got to be a, a, a world of difference of going into such a big fight against GSP but feeling you know all I wanted was to be in the UFC and yeah. now this is happening and as you said you wanted to go out there and show that you, you deserve to be there yeah, yeah. to then have that mindset of right bang 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 yeah especially because you know especially because the there were so many people before the fight that were like he, he don't deserve a title shot. It's yeah. too early. It's just because he's British. I yeah. got that so many times. Yeah, of course. And, and I want you know, I felt like with the with the effort that I gave in the fight, a lot of people, even if they they still held that same opinion, which I I agree with. I'm not denying it, but at least they would look at me and be like, you know what, he got that not you know he got that based yeah. on timing and situation, but he did a hell of a job. Yeah, again, it's 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 something that we've discussed in the past. I think people can be so ignorant on the on what a person has done to get a title shot and ignore what the champion has done to put them yeah. there, if you know what I mean. If someone like, if you're in a division like that where GSP has cleared everyone else out, yeah, it's logical that you're maybe jumping ahead of a few people. Yeah. There's a few people ahead of you and you're getting the title shot, but they've already lost to the champ and you haven't yet. Yeah. So, you know, it's not as simple as it's just getting unnecessary push. It's the same as as, 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 as Connor's getting now. People saying he doesn't deserve the title shot. Yeah. It's like, well, Aldo's beaten everyone else you know he's, he's <laughs> yeah. cleared out the division so it is a logical title shot every, every, all the other good challenges for Aldo are rematches yeah which is fine and they can happen but you know you've got yeah. to look at the whole division rather than, yeah. than just that so yeah 
better then get out there and go, see, you kind of all thought the GSP <laughs> was going to come out and deal with me and yeah. that's that. But Yeah. So, you know, so Condit was a big setback. Yeah. And more so more than anything because because I was angry with myself so then going into the next training camp I just pushed I pushed too much and you know and obviously when you when you get that phone call from Joe Silver and he's like okay we've got you matched up you're going to be co-main event fighting in Seattle oh excellent who am I fighting you've got Anthony Johnson okay I've got the biggest guy in the division the biggest strongest power puncher in the yeah. division and I've just been knocked out uh, again and, and we need to explain this you had the biggest guy in the, in the division at welterweight who is now the biggest guy in the division at light heavyweight and yeah. he genuinely is he's still yeah. in there you say you look at him against other light heavyweights which is two again if, you, if you're not aware that's two weight classes up yeah he's now at his natural weight class and he could probably push to heavyweight if he fancied yeah, it yeah. he's a big dude yeah he was he was monstrous yeah. uh, you know and and I've, me and anthony were friends you know we <laughs> we did a lot of signings together for tap out and yeah. stuff and always got on well with him we always had jokes and i always joked about the size of him yeah. you know every time he came to a to a, a sign i was like so what weight class are you now or you yeah. know just making jokes and yeah, yeah, we always yeah. had a good time and um and I thought, and, I, and that, this was a, a case of me putting all my eggs in one basket because I was like, okay, Anthony Johnson, big puncher. Mm-hmm. Fighting me, from his perspective, I've just been knocked out by Carlos Condit. He's going to just want to replicate that. Yeah. He's going to think, well, why would he even consider trying to take me down? Yeah. <laughs> so I, my game plan was just to, to keep him moving, keep him working and slow him down because we, you know, we knew because of his massive weight cut. Yeah. He, you know, he would potentially slow down. Yeah. And, and part of my game plan leading up to the fight was talking about the fact that he wasn't going to make weight because yeah. I wanted to, him to push to make weight. And he did, he pushed and he made weight and I was surprised. And then the next day I thought they'd put Phil Davis in front of me. Yeah. He, honestly, he just looked like a different person. Yeah. And on the first takedown, I dislocated my thumb. So then I didn't really have a great deal of use of that, of that hand for gripping. I could hit with it, but I, yeah. I couldn't hold him at all. And I kept trying to work Kimura's because I couldn't get a hold of anything else other than right. one of his arms. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, I kept I was work, trying to work high guard, you know, rubber guard, whatever. I just couldn't get around his back. My legs aren't long enough. I need to like Stefan Struve legs to triangle him. Beast of a leg. He was just he? massive. So I, so yeah. I just I couldn't do a great deal with him. And because then I I I, I, I was in pain because of my thumbs so and my adrenaline's all over the place, mm. and. I was carrying his weight. I was just trying to work and carry his weight, trying to defend. And he's such a big, strong guy. I just got exhausted. Yeah. And I was overtrained going into the fight because I was annoyed with myself coming out of the Condit fight. Yeah. So it was just, you know, it was just a domino effect of yeah. too much confidence, all my eggs in one basket. And then, yeah, yeah, I'd already given up going into my next one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had, I'd already decided I wanted to do something else. Oh, really? Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd already started looking at university courses and things like that. I, I, oh, wow. I felt like, because, and not because I didn't, because I wanted to, but because I always told myself that my goal was to get to the UFC, my career would end with the UFC. Mm. I wasn't going to get dropped by the UFC and go and fight in other yeah. organizations to yeah, get back. Sure. I was done with that. Yeah. And I, I didn't, you know, I knew that there was going to be a cutoff in my life. I always said it was 35 because I just don't want to keep taking damage like, like yeah. we do in training camp mostly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, so it's logical. Yeah, so I, I, I tried to have a, a sensible approach to it because I knew my desire to, to fight, to compete, was never going to go. And my mum said, if it, if it wasn't for this situation, you would have never stopped. Yeah. And she's probably right. But 
you know, going into the Lytle fight, I was just, I was, I was annoyed, I was overtrained, and I just wanted a brawl. I just wanted to get my anger out and get some closure and just see what happened. It was kind of a roll of the dice, you yeah. know. And it wasn't until Lorenzo that's, tweeted that's afterwards. That's how likes to, exactly. to scrap anyway. Likes exactly. to go in and have a... Yeah. And he announced a couple, of, uh, you know, a couple of days before that he was retiring. Time, yeah. So that kind of... I've always been a fan of his. And, yeah. You know, it, was, it just kind of made... It was just... Uh, again, it was just a weird situation. And in hindsight, it seems so unusual to me to look back on it and, yeah. and see myself in that situation because I feel like I could go back and fix it all now. Yeah. But... I needed those experiences. I needed those lessons to get me to where I am right now. Mm. And I appreciate that. And, but to be honest, you know, I knew that after that fight, I'd lost four. I knew the UFC were going to cut me. I, I knew that that was going to happen. And I'd accepted that. And I'd kind of, I'd, I'd, I'd already kind of found some closure because I'd started to plan what I was going to do next. Yeah, sure. And then Lorenzo tweeted that I wasn't going to get cut. So then that, that honestly, that kind of ch- switched my mind entirely when I, when I heard that he tweeted yeah. Somebody came up to me at the press conference and said it afterwards after I got off stage. And you can see when I'm sitting on stage, I, I, I'd already kind of accepted. I was like, yeah, you know, it's, it's been a good ride kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think, again, I think it's another thing. As I, 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 I feel like I'm moaning about every every UFC fan, but <laughs> it, it annoys me the, the, the stringentness of sometimes it being right, three fights, four fights, you can't, or, or, yeah. or whatever. The fact is... You lost to GSP, Condit, Rumble. It's like that's not losses to to bad or average people. It's that thing of, you know, some fighters will will lose their title shot and then drop right down and have a few kind of, not gimmies, but easier fights. Yeah, cab drivers. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, again, it's a tough one to say that it should be a clear cut. You lose these fights and you're gone. It's like, well... yeah. I was just, I, I, I just kind of felt defeated a lot by the, the feedback I was getting as well. Cause I mean, you know, I started martial arts when I was six yeah. and I trained every day. Yeah. And then like I lost four fights to some tough guys and then people want my head on a spike. Yeah. For what? You know, I don't go and I want you fired from Tesco's. Yeah. I don't care what your job status is. Yeah. You know, if you're doing well, cool. If you're not, then I hope you figure it out. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't doing well at that time. It was just, it was one of those things. It's sport and sometimes you don't win. And I was fighting monsters and that's the way it went. And, yeah. and I, so then when Lorenzo tweeted that I wasn't going to get cut, then I thought to myself, well, now he's risked his reputation on, yeah. you know, on saying that he's not going to cut me on the UFC's reputation on that as well. Yeah. Because no one has five losses in a row in the UFC, I don't think. It just doesn't happen. So I I felt like I had to turn it around. Yeah. Kind of for Lorenzo. And and that gave me the strength to want to prove the fans, well, the UFC fans wrong that were doubting me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I wanted to go out on my terms. Yeah. So that was what I was saying. I'm going to, I wanted the Ludwig fight. I wanted to turn it around with that and obviously go on a little bit of a run and then call it a day, but yeah. go out on my terms. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, I, I came close to going out on the on somebody else's terms. Yep. And now I've, now I'm, I'm in that situation again. Yeah. So. So, so. so how was it? Obviously you came back and, and, and you had a great win against Ludwig and, you know, he's gone on to great things as well with all mm. his, his, his his training and and setting up his his situation there what what do you feel has changed your mindset and everything 
so much and and makes you feel that if it was if the you now was in any of those situations you'd be able to handle it all differently or see it all differently because i i have perspective now which i didn't have i felt i felt like mm-hmm. even if i look back i look back to my my little training camp i look i look at myself like i was a, like i was a child like yeah, I, yeah. I was a lot younger than in my mind I, I've grown up a lot in the past couple of years and a lot in my life has changed, a lot settled down, a lot's, a lot's changed, a lot's upheaved, you know. Is that the right word to use? Yeah. Upheaval? It'll do. We'll, we'll throw it in there. Yeah. I've not sworn yet, I don't think. I, no, I asked I think that question have. before. Even though you asked at the start. I know. Well, I, 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 I do I, it instinctively normally. Mm. Yeah. Okay, I'll have to throw a couple more in. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. Sorry, what was I saying? You'd had, or yeah, I mean, all the upheaval has, has yeah. adjusted your perspective. Yeah. I mean, I'd imagine the, not that any kind of dicing with death has said, because number one, you're a professional f- fighter. <laughs> number two, there's, you've not had any issues with your no. heart as such. But Jen, no. I guess the, the having it all taken away from you, yeah. you know, that's yeah. got to kind of make you go, right, if I can yeah. have that chance again, I'll, uh, yeah. Well, I, I have a plan, and this so this would be a good opportunity for me to explain kind of what my plan is because yeah. I get asked constantly what's how, what's going on and have yeah. I done tests and stuff. I haven't done any more tests. I've I've needed to move back to the UK. That was the first thing. I want to mm-hmm. go and see some UK doctors and get an opinion that's not based on someone's car payments, yeah. which it is in the US. Yeah, of course. Because um, I never felt like I was getting an honest opinion. I always felt like someone was trying to sell me something. Yeah. Um, so I feel like coming back here, at, at least if... At least I've, I feel like I'm getting, you know, somebody's being straight with me. Yeah. Now, the last time I went in and did the tests, I was in training camp. I was in great shape. So if I go in now and do the tests and I'm like 60% of the conditioning that I was, yeah. I'm going to be annoyed with myself. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not going to do as well in the tests. Um, and I've needed to feel settled. So I've bought a place and I'm setting up a gym. I've got my airdyne in the other room, as you've seen, and my kettlebells. Yeah. And I'm, I'm approaching... A, a mock training camp. That's right, what yeah. I'm doing now. I'm, I'm preparing my body like I used to for a mock training camp. And I'm yeah. going to do it with my new evolved mindset with my teammates, my rough house teammates. I was there this morning at the gym working with them. Awesome. Um, and I'm just going to see, I'm just going to get myself back into fight shape and then go and go and see a, see the cardiologist. Yeah. And do I mean, the that makes again. a perfect a sense because otherwise you can't really make an accurate no. comparison. You, no. you know, it, you, you need to be able to say, here's here's the here's not only the condition I'm going to be in, but the pressure that yeah. my body is going to be under. So yeah. even f- like from both sides of the coin, if it's if it's going to be bad news, it's better to go in and go. Look, here's how far I'll be pushing it. Yeah, you know exactly. And if and if the in the process I have a heart attack on my air dying and die in my gym, I will have been happy because I've been training while I did it. Yeah. And yeah. I guess they were right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. <laughs> But I, I just, I have a plan and, I, and I, I'm clear about what I want to achieve now. I was, I was so caught up with being an athlete and chasing the belt and worrying about the rankings before. Yeah, of course. And now my focus is martial arts. Why I got into it in the first place. I want to, I want to, to test myself to see what I'm capable of. And now I want to show everybody else what I'm capable of, what I know I'm capable of. What uh, weight class would you have in mind if you were? Is that g- g- going to be something you'll find out after a mock training camp? Or? Yeah. Well, I think that where my weight's kind of settling, I mean, I've, I've lost a bunch of weight since uh, since I was competing at, you know, at title fight kind of size. I was about 98 kilos then. Yeah. I was big. I was 210 something pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm much lighter now. I'm back down to about 82 kilos. So, yeah. you know, about eight, what, 180, 182. Yeah. Sure. Um, and I'm just going to see where I am. I'm still, I'm still a little bit out of shape. I've got a bit of Christmas around my waist still right. that yeah. I need to burn off. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking that when I'm in the condition that I want to be in, that I am planning on being in, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to be a little bit too light for welterweight. Yep. But then again, I'm not necessarily really sold on, on weight cutting anymore. Yeah. So if I'm walking around at like 178, I'd probably still compete at welterweight. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about weight cutting. What, what are your beliefs on it? It's, it's something that's, it's a bizarre thing. Again, for anyone who's un, un, unclear of this in, in the sport, the weight classes are defined, but you weigh in the day before and generally people will cut weight dramatically and drastically to make that weight and then rehydrate or re you know get everything back so that come a fight day you're actually a lot bigger than the weight (laughs) class so there's no one who actually fights at 170 there's no one who actually or very few people who actually fight at 185 there's you know there's they're all that's the weight class but actually on the on the night they're a bit above that yeah um my my opinions have changed about it quite a lot Mm -hmm. um I always liked the process of weight cutting. I know that might sound strange, but I liked, I liked this the the solitude that I had when I was doing mm-hmm. it because I pretty much always cut weight on my own. And I know that wasn't recommended, but I liked the meditation of it, and I liked the the idea, the feeling of draining myself, right. of like clearing out, ready to like rehydrate and and be ready for the fight. Yeah. It was almost like a recharge, like an opportunity to to kind of. Yeah, kind of format my hard drive a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, that was probably psychological, but I I enjoyed the process. Yeah. Um, what I didn't enjoy was when I was doing too much. Yeah. When I was when I was cutting too much, and I felt like it was affecting my performance. It was affecting my fighting style. Um, that's that's the, the detriment I see, and I and I think that it's going to get it's going to become less popular in the future. I think when more research is done about it, and when more fighters have experienced fighting after a weight cut and then without weight cutting, yeah. I think they'll realise. I mean, look at what Anthony Johnson's doing now. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. tons of ex- examples of it. I mean, Frankie Edgar has always been the the, the, the reference point of him being yeah. incredibly undersized, but becoming champ yeah. uh, at that weight class. And 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 in a way, you're not doing as great when he's dropped down. I know he's not had a lot, but, you know, but yeah, I mean, Anthony Johnson, a prime, prime example. Yeah. and. There's there's more and more it seems that are Definitely. fighting nearer their actual yeah. size, and for me it feels again it feels the difference in in many ways between being a martial artist and being an athlete. It's like the athletic part or weight cutting seems to be part of the proving what you can do with your body. When it's yeah. like that, it doesn't seem that honest to me. Yeah. It seems like you're saying, "I'm gonna <laughs> let's fight at this weight." It's like. But don't tell him I'm going to be nowhere near that. Way. I've <laughs> yeah. got my fingers crossed, kind of thing. It's like it's, yeah. it seems bizarre to me, rather than just going, we're evenly matched. Yeah. Let's let's go. But th- there's always going to be someone that's going to cut weight, and and that's yeah. the problem. Like if if you know, there are no there's no solution to it. I mean, uh, I, I remember when I fought in Ohio. I've got, I've got ha- loads of solutions for it. Just just FYI, I've, I'm Is always right? brainstorming ideas. Oh, okay. But no, go on, continue. Cool. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, when I fought in Ohio, I think they. Well, they did. They weighed us in the day, the morning of the fight as well. So yeah. we weighed in at one. I was one seventy, yeah. and then uh, I couldn't be any more than one eighty the day of the, the yeah. morning of the fight. So obviously, you know, I, I gained ten pounds and yeah. then weighed in at one eighty, and then 
gain probably another 10 pounds after that yeah you know so that was Again, kind of a weird way of doing of it at least a, a little more kind it's of it's a bit more measured into it, it. it's, it's a bit more because my thought has always been uh, along them lines of because i understand you need the weigh-ins a day before the fight at least just because you can't turn up just before the fight and go right you can't fight because yeah. you know and you yeah. need to rehydrate and all that but uh, my thought has has been that of a weigh-in obviously the day before and as it is, there's penalties if you're overweight or it doesn't happen. But if you agree to go on, then again, even if there's two t- two further wanes mm-hmm. at the next day, having a staggering penalty situation. So if you've missed the first one by a long way, the fact is you have to do the other two still and we'll lose more and more of your yeah, yeah. Of, of your purse. So oh, we've solved it. Either walk away from it or, or, or make weight. But then, yeah, if, if you've made weight, <laughs> at least it then means... Yeah, there's going to be that leniency you can put a bit more on, but you can't go again to any Johnson levels at that point where yeah. he's been airlifted onto the scale because he can barely move <laughs> and then yeah. comes out yeah. the next day and it's like, yeah. right, I've eaten this town dry, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. ready to go. He was like, he was. I'm sure he was over 40 pounds heavier the, on the crazy. day of the fight. It's crazy. I'm, I can't remember who told me that. He was like, he was 40 something pounds heavier. Yeah. He was, he was he was a big dude. It's nuts, and it's not good. <laughs> it's it's not it's not healthy. It's it's surely uh, and not healthy at them extremes yeah. at them at them levels. So and and the thing is as well after that fight and you know and Anthony John you know he he did what he needed to do to win the fight and he you know he he out wrestled me, he beat me up the weakest part of my game. And fair yeah. play to him, but he was criticised a lot for that fight. He was actually cut the UFC cut him yeah. after that. Yeah, and. That that was, I mean, that you know was was probably partly down to the fact that he did cut a lot of weight yeah. and he didn't have the energy to to really perform at his best. Oh, I mean, I'm, and, I'm, and to be honest, let me go on record. I'm glad he didn't have the energy to perform yeah. at his best, or I'd have probably not had a head. Again, it was <laughs> he he made a, a villain of himself because yeah. of his 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 weight cutting. I can't remember a more celebrated cut from the UFC than when he'd, he'd missed weight and it. And then he fought Vitor still, and Vitor was a fraction like he looked like a yeah. toy. And then he just <laughs> he, he beat him. He, he 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 ripped his arm off. I think it was at the time. And yeah. then it was like right. Not only have you not made weight, and you're going to be sacked, but you've you've lost on your way out as yeah. well. And yeah, it's kind of a weird thing. And now he's back and fighting how he should. Yeah, everyone loves him, and yeah. rightfully so. He's an amazing fighter. Definitely. He's a beast of a dude. Definitely, it was scary to watch him in Stockholm. He's a, he's a monster. Yeah. I actually, yeah. I said to him in the hotel afterwards, I saw him in the lobby and I said to him, I'm glad you didn't do that to me. <laughs> and he turned around and he went, yeah, but I like you. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, he's an exciting and He's a nice guy. And, He'd make a great champion. Guy. He yeah. wouldn't make a great champion. Yeah. 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 So, so, I mean, I've decided as we're already well over the hour mark, I'm going to ask a couple more questions and then we're going to oh. stop and then we're going to do an extra... A, a little podcast to okay. go out either later today and we'll go through some of the upcoming fights because okay. I think all of this so far if, if you're a fight fan or not it's yep. all insightful and interesting whereas us just going I think he'll beat him isn't interesting for, yeah. for yeah. non-fight non fans so I want to talk about um, a commentating and, and how that's been and how you've you've kind of jumped into this and excelled it's been it seems to be going great how are you finding it all? I'm loving it. I'm loving it. It's hard work. You don't work. have to get punched in the face. No, I don't. But I'd you still like... get to be all all over the, yeah. the sport and the yeah. I still get to be immersed in it. Yeah. But it's. I mean, you know, there there are good things and bad things about it. Good in the, in the ways that 
I'm I still I'm still involved in the sport that I yeah. love. I, yeah. I I get to enjoy fight week and chat to fans and you know help promote the UFC, help promote mixed martial arts. Yeah. And and no one's my enemy anymore. No one is suspicious yeah. of me yeah. or anything. So I just I get to hang out with everybody and chat and you know share good times. It's it's it, it's hilarious. Like as you've said, how 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 much of a, a, a villain was made of you at one point yeah. for getting a title shot when you shouldn't. Whereas <laughs> Every time there's a new commentating team, there's some scorn poured on it because yep. Joe Rogan is, is Joe Rogan and Goldberg. <laughs> I mean, everyone hates Goldberg, but I, I think he's great. But <laughs> the fans always give a bit of hate for Goldberg. But when you and John started doing the UK ones, everything I heard, there was scorn being poured as, poured as there always is. Yeah. But it was all on poor John because I was like, I love Dan, but I'm not sure about this. <laughs> it's that weird thing of, again, I, I guess in a way whilst your career was at that point again not not necessarily <laughs> until ended early earlier yeah. than than you want equally fans aren't a fan of that yeah if you're a villain and they want you to you know they want it to go out the right way you know if, if yeah. they want to hate you they want you to get beaten and kicked out of the ufc you've lost f- four in a row you need to go yeah. instead of going right it's a health thing now and <laughs> You know, so again, they're seeing that. And again, I think everyone I see now is realising that John's also awesome at what he does and knows exactly what he's talking about and trains hard and does everything to improve his game. So, yeah, yeah. is it, (laughs) would that be enough to satisfy you if you found you can't, you can't fight again? Um, it is my job and and yeah. I love it. it. It wouldn't satisfy me as a competitor, obviously, because it's, it's, I mean, it's quite frustrating, obviously, being around it and, you know, sharing it with other people, but yeah. not experiencing it firsthand. And I guarantee every now and then, oh, when you jump in the cage to interview someone, part of you is thinking, I could take this guy. I could oh, this, yeah. This, this yeah. guy's smaller than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. As as <laughs> some, well, some of the girls, not so much the guys anymore. Well, not even yeah. any of the girls, actually. Yeah. They're all terrifying. Yeah. Now, you, sometimes people catch me shallow boxing in the octagon before the show starts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still get And sometimes I rehearse my walkout yeah. um, just to kind of visualise, you know, and enjoy that space. Again, it takes me back. I get to reminisce, but it's also I get to look forward and, and be inspired to my own training. Yeah, yeah um, of course. But being involved being involved as, as a commentator is amazing because I get to, you know, I get to interview the winner after the fight. I get to share in that. I mean, yeah. I, get, I got a, an amazing moment with Krokop right yeah. before, uh, right as they were cleaning Gonzaga's new Harry Potter scar up. Right, yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's he, a I, hell of a scar. Yeah, he's a, he's a magician. He's a wizard now, isn't he? Um, if, imagine if Krokop had learned about elbows a I few know. years back. I know. How did he only just, just find out about these things? Go, oh, he's, wow, these are... Yeah, awesome. these are quite useful. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a vicious and beautiful performance, and I, it was an honour to be a part of it. And weirdly, I have a strange relationship with Crocop, which he's not aware of at all, <laughs> because I used to watch his highlight before every one of my fights. Oh, I had really? it on my iPod, so I'd watch it before I walked out. Amazing, because I'm, I'm left-footed, so my left high kick was was a big a yeah. weapon for me. Um, so I had a, I had from from a fanboy perspective, I was I've always been a huge fan of Crocop. Yeah. I've always loved him. And then when Roy Nelson fought him, I was Crocop for him in training camp. I oh, was wow. so I mimicked a lot of Crocop because we're not we're not a great deal bigger no, no. as far as you know physicality. Yeah. He's thicker, obviously, a lot thicker, but yeah. I, I think he's only an inch taller than me or something. Yeah. So I was able to mimic him quite a bit. 
And then I cornered Roy against Crow Cop. Yeah, of course. And now I've just now I've just commentated his comeback. Yeah. And right after the fight, yeah. And right after the fight, uh, as they were cleaning Gonzaga up, I I was just stood about this close to Crow Cop yeah. as we are, you know, a couple of meters. Um, and he just had a moment on his own because no cameras were on him or anything. He just had this moment when where he, he realised that he'd achieved what he set out to. He, it was like a. Yeah. It was like. A, you know, like like validation. He'd been validated in, the, yeah. in his in his efforts, is and he's, he's kind of closed the book on that. A bit of closure, it, maybe. He's you know? never lost a rematch. Hasn't never he? six and zero in rematches now. It's amazing. Yeah, you gotta love that. He, I mean, well, he, the one thing I said in the commentary, he's, he beat three former UFC heavyweight champions in a row: yeah. Josh Barnett, Kevin Randleman, and, and uh, Mark Coleman. Wow! Yeah, all three of them in a row. Yeah, it's, it's, it was amazing yeah. to share on sharing that. I, but I do miss it. Coleman though. in the head oh, brutally, and that was. was was hideous. But yeah, yeah, it was. But yeah, so again, so so you get to still just yeah. hearing that just stories like that. You get to still yeah be immersed. I love in it. it. I love it. I love this job, and I, I I will do this for as long as I can. I will as long as people want to listen to me talk. I don't know why I'm popular. I'm not sure why people are enjoying my commentary, but I just I just. You know, I just see what I say, what I'm I'm seeing. I just read the fight like from my phrase. perspective. Say what you see, if you see it, say it. <laughs> yeah, I almost said that, but then I didn't realize, I didn't know many people would get it. But you're, yeah, you're about my generation. I want it, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's perfect. As I said, we're going to continue on in a minute. I'm going to end this part of the podcast and then we'll have a second part that's just talking specific fights and a few of just the matchups of a few people that are bubbling over at the moment. Okay. But in general... Uh, where can people keep an eye on everything Dan Hardy uh, well just Dan Hardy MMA that's kind of that's kind of it really yeah. uh, .co.uk is my new website yeah um, and I'm on Instagram and Twitter and yeah. you can find me on Facebook I'm pretty much everywhere perfect um, yeah easy to find. find me. that's it well thank you very much thank we'll you. continue in a minute yes sir Thank you very much for listening to that. How how lovely is Dan? And again, I'm going to keep this outro brief because I've got to do an intro for part two. That was Dan Hardy. Um, I'm Scroobius Pip at Scroobius Pipio. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you want to listen to part two as well. I think he's a truly... F- a fascinating guy um part two is as said it's for the mma heads and we'll be discussing our thoughts on on the current state of mixed martial arts and the specifics of specific fighters and we'll be going into more detail on that i know we touched on it in this one um yeah either way we will be back next week with more guests and more wonder on wednesday on the distraction pieces podcast my name is scroobius pip you can hit me up at scroobius pip or facebook.com slash scroobius pip you can chat to me you can argue about my opinions here mma fans love to argue about opinions so come on in and tell me that luke rockhold and chris weidman are super exciting um and tell me why because I'm, I'm willing to be a, a one over because as i as i mentioned on this podcast i think they're truly amazing athletes i just don't know why i can't get excited about them but yeah that is that we will be back next week for a lot of you but for some of you we'll be back in a few moments see you in a bit (laughs) 